you in worship this morning on the second Sunday in the season of Lent. Uh, before we reflect on today's scripture, let's pause for a moment of prayer. Will you pray with me? A holy God who is with us on this Lenten journey, we give you thanks for your presence. We ask that in our time together this morning, you might shape us and mold us as we continue seeking to become the people you have created us to be. We ask all these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So during this Lenten season, we're sharing a worship series here at Christ Church entitled Sacred Practices. In the series, we're looking at some sacred practices, what the church has traditionally called spiritual disciplines. These are practices that can have a transformational impact on our lives. They can help us deepen our experience of God's presence. They can give us clarity when we try to make important decisions. They can help us lead more balanced lives. And they can enable us to become more kind and compassionate people the kind of people God wants us to be. Now, if you were with us last weekend, you know we began this series by looking at the practice of contemplative prayer or silent prayer or prayer without words. And I hope that some of you gave that practice a try this week. As you saw in the video this morning, however, today we focus on the second of these sacred practices, the practice of fasting. So what do we mean by fasting? Where did the practice of fasting originate? What are some of the benefits of practicing fasting, and finally, how do we engage in this practice? These are the questions I would like us to consider this morning. Let's begin with the first question, what do we mean by fasting? In his book, Soul Shaper, Exploring Spirituality and Contemplative Practices, author Tony Jones says to fast is to voluntarily abstain from the consumption of something that we would normally consume. We do this for the primary purpose of making ourselves more conscious of our need to depend on God. Now, traditionally, fasting has referred to going without food or drink. However, fasting is not limited to the absence of food or drink. It can also include a decision to voluntarily abstain from things like shopping, watching television, playing video games, uh, logging onto Facebook, or anything else that we might deem too dependent on instead of God. For example, I once read about a young woman who had several serious relationships that didn't work out in her life. So one day she was talking with a friend about this, and her friend says, you know what you need to do? You need to fast. Oh, she replied, you mean I need to fast from food? No, her friend quickly said, you need to fast from boyfriends. She said, you've become so attached to having a boyfriend, it's causing you to lose your own identity. Well, guess what? This young woman decided to take her friend up on her suggested. She fasted from boyfriends for a year. And when the fast was over, she found that she was more confident in who she was, and she was ready to take on a new relationship in a much more healthy way. St. John Chrysostom said this, a fast should not be limited to the mouth alone, but can include the eye, the ear, the feet, the hands, and all other members of the body. The important thing is that when we fast, we do it for the purpose of intentional spiritual growth. So to fast is to abstain from something to become more aware of God and who God wants us to be. This leads to the second question, where does the sacred practice of fasting come from? Well, this sacred practice has been around for thousands of years. And to tell you the truth, it can be found in every major religion and culture throughout the world. For Christianity, however, the practice of fasting is really based and grounded in our biblical story and in the history of the church. For example, the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy tells us 
that Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights before he received the Ten Commandments. The book of 2 Chronicles says that King Jehoshaphat called on the people of Judah to fast as they prepared for battle against the Amorites. Then there's the passage that we heard from our reading in Joel today. In that passage, the prophet Joel calls on the people of Israel to participate in a 40-day fast to show their desire to turn from unhealthy ways of living back to the ways and the wisdom of God. Examples of fasting can not only be found in the Old Testament, however, we also find them in the New Testament. As we heard this morning, Matthew's Gospel tells us that Jesus fasted for 40 days and nights in the wilderness. Uh, he did this to prepare Himself for ministry. In Acts 9, we are told that Paul fasted for three days and nights when he became a follower of Christ. And in Acts 13, we hear that the early Christians fasted and prayed before they made a decision to send Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey. So, fasting has a rich biblical tradition. However, fasting has also been consistently practiced throughout the history of the church. For example, uh, in the early Roman Catholic Church, we are told that people who were preparing for the sacrament of baptism would often fast before the experience of this holy moment in their lives as a way to prepare themselves, open themselves up for a deeper experience of God's presence. The Roman Catholic Church still calls on people to fast, certainly on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday during Lent, but also on all other Fridays during the year. In fact, years ago when I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, which is a city that has a strong Catholic influence, I kept noticing that on Fridays Burger King had fish sandwiches on sale for 99 cents. Well, one Friday I was in Burger King with a friend of mine, and I asked my friend, why does Burger King do this? My friend said, oh, the Catholics fast from red meat on Fridays. They do this to remember the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Oh, I said, that makes perfect sense to me. But I'm a Protestant, so I'm still going to get a Whopper. As I said, however, fasting is not only a part of the Catholic tradition, it's also been a part of the Protestant tradition. For example, the Protestant reformers Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli all fasted from time to time in their spiritual journey. And they encouraged their followers to do the same. Then there's John Wesley, the founder of our Methodist tradition. It said that he fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays as what he called a means to holiness. So as you can see, even though the sacred practice of fasting is a practice that really most people in our modern consumer-oriented society never have or have very rarely practiced, it is a practice that has a very strong tradition, not only in our scriptures, but in our Christian history. This leads us to the third question I'd like us to think about this morning, namely, what are the benefits of fasting? Well, there are a number of benefits. Let me suggest just a few. First, fasting has physical benefits. Fasting, especially from food, can be good for our health. For example, in 2017, a team of cardiac researchers at the Intermountain Heart Institute studied the effects of routine fasting by a number of patients. What they discovered was that periodic fasting not only lowered these patients' risk of coronary artery disease, it also lowered their risk of diabetes. In addition, fasting enabled patients to release toxins that had been trapped in their bodies. It cleansed out their digestive tracts, and it improved their overall physical condition. So as you can see, there are some health benefits to this practice of fasting. Another benefit to fasting, however, 
is relational. You see, fasting can improve our relationships. This week I read a Nielsen report that said the average American now spends about 10 hours and 39 minutes on their smartphones, computers, video games, tablets, and TVs each and every day. This report said that for many of us, especially during the pandemic, technology has become an addiction. And our addiction to technology, well, it's affecting our relationships. You know, I believe that's absolutely true. For example, a friend of mine told me that his family has several televisions in their home. And last year he said he noticed something rather interesting. He noticed that rather than talk with each other or watch television together, everybody would watch their show in their own separate room. So do you know what my friend decided to do? For the 40-day season of Lent, he decided to have his family turn off all the TVs. They fasted from television. Now in the beginning, my friend said it was incredibly hard. Uh, they didn't know what to do with themselves. But as time passed, he said, we started playing games. We started taking walks. We read books. We did all this together. As we did, my friend said, we began to notice that we were having conversations with each other. We began to rediscover what we loved about each other. And we began to just enjoy being with one another. Now, at the end of the 40-day fast, they did turn their TVs back on. But my friend said, these days we don't watch nearly as much. And when we do, we do it together. So fasting can improve our relationships. A third benefit to fasting, however, is what I call the social benefit. And by this, I really mean two things. First, fasting, especially from food, helps us identify with and grow in our compassion for those who are less fortunate. A number of years ago, Pope John Paul II, a wonderfully spiritual man, said this, when we fast, our stomach feels empty. This empty feeling creates sensitivity. It helps us identify with what hungry people feel all over the world. And this not only spurs us to be more compassionate toward them, but creates the opportunity for us to be more generous as we use the proceeds we might have spent on food to help those in need. You know, John Paul was right, wasn't he? By intentionally creating a context in which we feel the pain of hunger in our lives, well, we're better able to identify with and be more compassionate toward those who unintentionally feel the pain of hunger all over the world. I have a friend who practices this in a very simple yet very powerful way. Each week she volunteers one day a week at the local food pantry. Now the day before she does this, she decided to fast. When I asked her why she fasted the day before she worked at the food pantry, she said, well, fasting before I volunteer helps me identify with the hunger of those who come to the pantry. And it helps me be a more compassionate person. Another social benefit to fasting, however, is that it can be used for social protest. In other words, we can fast to draw attention to the suffering of others from various forms of injustice. Think about it. Famous people like Mahatma Gandhi of India and Nelson Mandela of South Africa often fasted to draw attention to the social injustices that were happening in their countries. But you don't have to be famous to participate in a fast that addresses social injustice. For example, our Lenten offering this year is going to support the Community Investment Fund of Greensboro Housing Coalition. This fund will provide immediate aid to people who lose their housing when the eviction moratorium ends on March 31st. 
but it will also provide long-term resources to help provide healthy housing uh, answers for low-income families in the future. So one idea would be for all of us to fast from one meal a day during the season of Lent and then give the money that we save by fasting to our Lenten offering to raise awareness and protest the housing injustice that exists in our own community. My point is simply this. Fasting has social benefits. Fasting from food, from possessions, from others that less fortunate people in our world desperately need not only helps us identify with their pain, but it helps us grow in compassion. And it can be used to spur us and others on to work together to create a just society for all God's children. Finally, and most importantly, however, fasting has spiritual benefits. As I mentioned earlier, the most basic reason for fasting is intentional spiritual growth. We fast from things that we might grow too dependent on so that we might become more conscious of and increase our dependence on God, the one who truly sustains us. A few years ago, I went to a Methodist church in our conference for a meeting. It was a growing church with a strong traditional music ministry and an exciting contemporary worship service. While I was there, however, I discovered that for the 40-day season of Lent, they had decided to do something incredibly interesting. They decided to fast from music. Can you imagine? For six Sundays, they didn't have music in worship. Now, when I asked them why, this is what they said. As much as we love the excellent music that's provided in both our traditional and our contemporary worship experience, we realized that music had in some ways become an idol for us. It became the reason we came to church. By making the decision to fast from music for Lent, what we're doing is reminding ourselves that as good as our music is, the real reason we come to church is to connect with God. The music's just a tool that helps us do this. They concluded by saying fasting from music reminds us that it's God and not music that holds us together. You know, in many ways, that church has it right. Whether we're fasting from music or food or TV or relationships with boyfriends or girlfriends or anything else, the ultimate purpose of engaging in the sacred practice of a fast is to deepen our experience of the living God, to remind ourselves that God and nothing else is the true source of our lives, to remind us that as wonderful as the things in our material world are and can be, ultimately, we are spiritual beings who are having a human experience. So when we fast, we remind ourselves, like Jesus, that we can't live by bread alone. We need a connection with a higher power. We need a deep connection with God. When we fast, we give ourselves the opportunity to take time and energy and resources that we've been spending on things we're fasting from and invest them in our relationship with the Holy One. And by doing this, we experience a deeper sense of peace and joy and hope and love and clarity in our lives. And in the end, we are transformed. So this leads to the last question. If we decide to engage in the sacred practice of fasting, how do we do it? Well, there are tons of books and internet resources on how to engage in a fast, especially on how to engage in a partial or full food fast. I would invite you to take a look at those resources for yourself. If we're going to engage in this practice of fasting from food or anything else, however, 
I think there are some general guidelines that we might want to follow. First, we need to decide why we're going to fast. Is there something in our life that has a hold on us that we need God's help to break? Do we need guidance from God about an important decision? Are we fasting because we're seeking to cleanse our bodies so we can be more open to God's presence in our lives? Or are we fasting to try to identify with those who are less fortunate and grow in our ability to feel compassion? There are many reasons why people fast, but the first step for us if we want to engage in the practice of fasting is to think about why we want to do it. Second, we need to decide what it is we're going to fast from. Do we need to engage in a fast from food? Will it be a fast from Facebook? Do we need to fast from the use of alcohol or are we fasting from the habit of criticizing other people? What do we need to abstain from for a period of time so that we can engage in intentional spiritual growth? It's an important question to ask. Third, we need to think about what we will do with the time and the resources our fast will give back to us. For example, if we're fasting for food, we will use the time we usually use to eat lunch to engage in prayer or read a book on spirituality, or we might use the money that we were going to spend for a meal to provide a meal for someone who's hungry. Finally, we need to invite the Spirit of God to be at work in the midst of our fast. As I mentioned earlier, at its root, fasting is a spiritual practice. So whether we're fasting for health reasons or to grow in compassion or to deepen our relationships or for the ultimate purpose of fasting for spiritual growth, we need to invite God to be in the midst of our fast, to use our fast to shape us and mold us. We need to invite God to teach us where we need to grow. We need to ask God to use our fast to strengthen us so that when our fast is ended, we can look back and say, you know, this fast has helped me become more and more the person God has truly created me to become. Fasting. It's a sacred practice that many of us have never tried, and yet it's a sacred practice that God can use to help us experience a deeper awareness of God's presence in our lives, that God can use to bring clarity to our lives, that God can use to fill us with compassion for others, that God can use to help us draw attention to injustice in the world, that God can use to help us become the kind of people that God has truly created us to be. So as we continue our journey this Lenten season, perhaps we might want to engage in this sacred practice of fasting and see just what God might do in our lives. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.